Good morning. It's nice to be with you again. Let's open our Bible into Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, last time I was with you, I think I gave a sort of an overview of the book of Judges and how it's applicable to life today. Uh, Sometimes we forget that all Scripture is inspired by God and useful, helpful in the teaching of doctrine, in the correction of error, in the rebuking of error, and the equipping of the people of God to do the work of God. We also thank you for your prayers and your invitation to us to be with you yesterday. We had a tiring day and and not being old and using that as an excuse, but I'm in Mexico, so I needed to take a short siesta <laughs> after some lovely person brought a, a big hamburger full of cheese and tomatoes and your body temperature rises a little bit and the glucagon starts flowing in your blood and gives you that sort of I need to stretch and take a little break feeling. Not to mention that I weigh a little more than I used to weigh and walking up and down the streets handing out balloons and tracks and CDs isn't as light a work as it used to be. So here we are in Judges chapter 6, and we'd like to consider Gideon this morning and this evening uh, and see what Gideon is going to, or the Lord wants to use Gideon to teach us. Gideon, no, not Gideon, Judges chapter 1. And the children of the Lord did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens, which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown, the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth, that means they took their crops, Till thou come unto Gaza, they left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. And they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished. Because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and drove them out from before you, and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained to Joash the Abyssalite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites, 
And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of, out of the land of Egypt? And now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? And he said unto them, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry unto thou, until thou come again. And Gideonite, or sorry, and Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes of an ephah flour and flesh he put in a basket. And he put the broth in the pot and brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord put forth the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes and there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, and the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord, and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet an Ophrah of the Abysrites. And it came to pass that same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock and the second bullock of seven years old and throw it down and throw down the altar of Baal that is in thy, that thy father hath and cut down the grove that is by it and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in an ordered place and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took the ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of that city, that he should not do it by day, that he did it by night. And the Lord will bless the reading of his word this morning to us and we'll continue on this evening and see what happened after he tore down the altars. But here we have a situation. In verse 1 it says, the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of God. That was the reason over and over and over again in the book of Judges, we see God delivering His people into the hands of the enemy, of the people that weren't His people. And God uses sometimes people of this world to judge His people. And we need to be aware of that. You know, beloved, sometimes people say when we're witnessing to them, 
They say, what about Jimmy Swaggart? Now, I know that was 88 or 87 maybe, but I use Jimmy Swaggart and Jimmy Baker and all those Jimmies of those days to, that was an excuse for me. That's what your God produces, guys that go and, and do weird things with prostitutes in hotel rooms? That's what your religion does is they make dog houses that cost $5,000 and have air conditioning in them? That rob people and say, send me $100, begging, begging, begging? Your God can't do nothing. I can work hard for my money. At least I'm better than them. They just go around begging all the time. I go to work. I work hard. And then some spiritual people say, well, you know what? You have to look past them. You have to look to God. Maybe you've even used that excuse. But beloved, that's a very poor excuse because you know what? The natural mind can't discern spiritual things. They can't see Christ unless they see Christ in us. That's the hope of glory, isn't it? That's what Paul writes. There's some people that say, you know, you don't have to repent from your sin. You can just keep on being like you are. God receives us just as we are. And that is true. God receiveth sinful men. He does that. He loves us so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die for our sins on Calvary's cross. He paid a price that we could not pay. He bore our sins. He, I'm forgetting how He said it. He took our iniquities with the chastisement of our peace was upon Him and with His stripes we are healed as Bob was reading this morning in the Scriptures. And that's true, but He loves us so much He's not going to leave us that way. The first part of Romans talks about the complete, or the whole book of Romans talks about the complete Gospel. And the first part says, this is how you can be justified before a holy God. That's how much God loves you while we're yet sinners, while we're His enemies. But you go into the second part and He talks about sanctification. You know what? God loves you so much He's not going to leave you in your sin. He's going to transform you and it goes on and on until it gets to that climax. You know, all things work together for good. For what good? So that we can be conformed to the image of His only begotten Son. That's the process of sanctification. Taking a sinful man and making him like Christ. Imagine, beloved, a God who's so great so strong, so smart, so intelligent that He knows exactly what to do to take you from what we were to make us like His Son. That's something, isn't it? And here they are doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And God's going to use worldly people to judge His people. To make them turn their faces toward Him again. Oh, it was a great judgment. Seven years of famine. It wasn't really a famine. Because there was food growing. 
It's just that the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people from the east came every time it was harvest season and took over the food chain. There was the wheat, there was the barley. Whenever the season came up, they came and they ate everything. They came with their camels and they came with their cousins and they even brought their little doggies along and they were all there and they just consumed everything. Imagine going through that for seven years before you cry out to God. It gives me a little bit of hope. Sometimes, you know, you pray for somebody for so long and you see the horrible things that are happening in their lives. And you know it's God speaking to them. They get sick. They lose their job. They get in a car accident. This happens and that happens. And, and still they don't cry out to the Lord. But here when they finally got to the end of themselves, like the prodigal son. They went looking for home, didn't they? That gives me a, a hope as a person who, who prays for some of these people. And you, many of you, pray for people that they might get saved, that they might get restored. They've backslidden. They've turned their backs on God. And, and you wonder, how long, Lord, And then you read, after seven years of famine. I don't know how skinny you'd be after seven years of famine. We see what it did in Eastern Africa famine, don't we? And there they were. They, they finally called upon the Lord. And that gives me hope that someday, somehow, some way, these people that we've been praying for so hard and for so long, and the things are happening in their lives, that God is working in their lives saying, look to me, look to me. They will seek me and will be found by me. That verse never made sense until I became a father. They will seek me and I will find them. Actually, I was a little older than a father at that time because my girls were old enough to play hide and go seek. Now, I'm big enough that I can only play seek now, but in, when I was skinnier, I could play hide and seek, but now I can play seek only. And I'd go and I could see them in the, in the shower. I could see their feet sticking out from the curtain beside the window. I could see them hiding under the table, and I'd walk by. And I could hear them giggle when I walked by. And then I'd say, I can't find you. Where are you? And with great joy, they would cry out, Here we are! And you know, when we seek God, He finds us. <laughs> And he heard their cries, just like he heard their cries in Egypt. And he's heard their cries through the century. And God's one day, he 
He's going to hear the cries of the ones we've been praying for for so long. And by God's grace and only by God's grace, may they turn to the Lord and cry unto him. None who cry unto the Lord shall be ashamed, shall they? It'll be, uh, how does Paul put it in 2 Corinthians? Uh, a repentance never to be repented of. But there they were, and you know, at first they tried to ignore the problem. Sometimes there's problems and you just sort of, well, you know, we'll, we'll make dens. We'll hide in the caves. Yeah, it makes us uncomfortable, but, but we'll just sort of ignore the problem. We won't face the problem head on. We'll just hide from the problem. And that's what the Israelites started to do in the beginning, isn't it? That's what it says in verse 2. They had dens, they had caves, they were hiding there, and the Midianites would come in and take over the whole land, and, and they didn't do anything. Then there's Gideon. The Israelites didn't respond in a very good way, just pretending the problem didn't happen. There was Gideon threshing, not on the threshing floor, but behind a wine press. And some people sort of laugh, and, and I heard one guy say, you know, I don't understand. God says this man's a mighty man of valor, and he's hiding? But you know what? He was a mighty man of valor, not only because the Lord said it, well, mainly because the Lord said it, but there he was risking his life to keep the food chain and the food line open. There was a people in a starving land, a dry desert land. And there he was threshing wheat to have something for the people to eat. And you know, beloved, when the enemy comes against us, like the Midianites, like a great tidal wave, we need to keep the food line open. The food for the people of God. Sharing the bread of life. The bread of heaven with them. There are a lot of places that have sort of, you know, we need to make this more of a social club. We need to make this more entertaining. And there's more of this and less of the Word of God, the food, the bread of life. And there was this mighty man of valor working by himself, risking his life to keep the food line open. Do we do that? There was a time when a group commonly known as the Brethren were known as men and women of God. Men and women of the book. Can the same be said today? If we went to a Christian bookstore 50 years ago, 100 years ago, what would you find in that Christian bookstore? Mostly writers, 
like Darby, writers like Kelly, Broadbent. You went to a Christian bookstore today. How many books are there by what we would call brethren authors? You might find a Bill McDonald commentary. But other than that, what would you find in the everyday average bookstore? Are we still people of the book? If you get a chance, you might want to listen to Jim McCarthy's messages that he gave at, at a, a workers' and elders' conference in Colorado Springs last week, or the week before last. And, and one of the things I received is he was preaching from Luke chapter 24 and talking about the ones on the road to Emmaus. And, and sometimes the preacher's preaching and, and you sort of get baffled with one verse. Have you ever noticed that? That he just says something and that just occupies your thinking and you don't know a word that he said for the rest of the meeting, but, but you remember that. And the Lord struck me with the thought, well, you could probably do that, Trevor. You could blade them from Genesis, and you can probably go through most of the Old Testament without too much problem. You might not get everyone, but you could probably hit on most of the highlights. You could hit that his blood was greater than, speaks greater things than the blood of Abel. You could speak to Jesus Christ, the creator of all things. You could talk about Chapter 22 of Genesis and the great sacrifice. You go on to chapter or the book of Exodus and you think about the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and you think about the things of the tabernacle. You get to the book of Leviticus and you think about the feasts and you think about the sacrifice. You get to the book of Numbers and you think about how the Lord provided manna. You think about the serpent lifted up on, on the bronze servant lifted up on the staff and and you just keep going on and going on and get to Deuteronomy and the prophet like Moses and get to Joshua and you think of the real Joshua. You get to Judges and you see that God is the real deliverer. And you get to Ruth and you think of our Boaz. And you just go on and on. And, I, and The Lord said to me, you could probably do that. But can everybody else in the congregation do that? That was a pretty good two-by-four. It might have even been a four-by-four the Lord hit me with between the eyes. So I was talking with the elders in the assembly, and on Sundays we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. And it's going to take us over three years. But we're going to go through all the figures of Christ so that everybody in the assembly should, in theory, have the ability to teach Christ and show His glories forth from the Old Testament. So that they might be known as people of the book. Are we still known as people of the book? Do we keep that food line open so that the people can eat? There's a hunger for the Word of God, and people are going around hungry just looking for it. And for some reason, we think that changing God's plan through the ages of using His Word by the power of His Spirit doesn't work anymore. We need to keep faithful, beloved. Keeping the food line open. That's what Gideon 
did for his first step in delivering the people of God from the Midianites. He was keeping. Imagine trying to do battle when you're hungry and you're famished. And if you keep reading the story of Gideon, you'll see that the people of God were getting hungry. They were chasing. And they came to a city and give us some food. And, and they didn't want to give them any food, even though they were the people of God, because they were sitting on the fence. Well, if we give you food and the Midianites win, well, then we're doomed. And beloved, we need to keep the food line open. We need to be teaching the people about the bread of life, the true bread that came down from heaven, the only one that can satisfy a hungry heart and a hungry soul. That's the first thing that Gideon did. Do we do that? Amidst the hunger and strife that is known today. The second thing that Gideon does Pick it up in verse 12. Now maybe we better go back a little bit. And there was an intercession. The Lord raised up Gideon and, and the Lord reminds him who he is. I'm the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. I delivered you from your enemies. Don't ever forget who I am. I was preaching about David giving his last message to Solomon. David was dying. I went to a lot of funerals this summer. Usually summer is a time of weddings and not too many funerals. But this summer I went to six funerals and one wedding. Cancer for three people. Heart attacks for two people. And pneumonia for one. And, and if you knew you were dying and this was your last day, what would you tell the people you love the most? David's words to Solomon were, no God. Paul picks that up, doesn't he? And he says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the strong man glory in his strength, but let him glory in the fact that he knows God. Paul's prayer in Philippians is, oh, that I might know Him. The power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings. That was Paul's first prayer, you know. He said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord kept answering his prayer. And you see Paul growing in his whole life as we read through the books that he wrote. That's what David said. And that's what God is saying. Don't forget to know me. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one that brought you out of slavery. I'm the one that took you across the Red Sea. I'm the one that did this. I'm the one that did that. Know me. Learn about me. There's a verse behind me. It says, I will give you rest. And it goes on later and it says, to know him, doesn't it? 
And it's something for us that God's telling us that, you know, not only do you keep the food lines open, but he tells you what food lines to keep open. The way to help people know who God is. That's the great difference between Christianity and the religions of the world, isn't it? Religion would tell you, do this and don't do that. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't go to the dances. That's what a Christian is. You know, my dog's a Christian because my dog doesn't drink, my dog doesn't smoke, and my dog doesn't go to the dances. But that's how some people define Christianity. And it's something for us to understand. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about knowing the true and living God. Oh, we also are going to behave ourselves, but we behave ourselves because we know who God is. And what delights his heart and what makes him sad. And that's what he's talking about here. And then Gideon goes on and he intercedes for the people of God. Verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O Lord, why is all this stuff happening to us? It ain't good. Why are we hungry? We're your people. Why is all this calamity befalling us? Why is it such a tragedy? Why is it so hard? If you're really for us, why is this stuff happening? He starts to intercede. You know, not only do we need to keep the food lines open, not only do we need to know who God is, we need to be people of prayer. I, don't, I probably told you the three people who taught me most about prayer in my life are three ladies. One lady was about 80 pounds soaking wet, about 1,000 years old. And, and I worked at a, at a Christian home similar to Western Assembly's home when I went to university. And part of my job as a maintenance person was to steam clean the carpets. And I went into this sister's room, and you know what was beside the head of her bed? Four holes in the carpet. Two from her knees, two from her toes. Eighty pounds soaking wet, this lady. That taught me a whole lot about prayer, and she didn't say a thing. Second lady who taught me a whole lot about prayer, she asked me, How's Trish doing? And my first thought was, Who is Trish? And then I remembered. About a year earlier, I was taking a trip back home after university, and, and she lived in the same town as I did, and so we were traveling home together because I had a pickup truck. Some of you might remember that pickup truck that I had a long time ago. And and I'd asked for prayer that I would have the chance to witness to her and talk with her about the Lord. You know, after we got home, I stopped praying for her. And this dear saint had kept praying and praying and praying. How's that for intercessory prayer? When the person who asked for prayer doesn't think it's important anymore and somebody thinks it's so important that not even knowing the person, but knowing who is going to be doing the witnessing, just keeps on praying 
and not stopping. David mentioned that a lot of you were praying for yesterday. How many stopped praying this morning? You know, we gave out CDs and tracks. And you know what I found out about CDs and tracks? Especially tracks. They're very sneaky. Tracks can squiggle their way into the bottom of a lady's handbag and pop up two months later. Some guy puts it in his jacket pocket. He doesn't wear that jacket till next spring because he's going to wear a warmer jacket now that it's winter. Next spring, he puts the jacket on and he's facing some difficulty in his life and he puts on that jacket just by chance and there's that track right in his pocket. They get in their car and they th throw the, all the bags that they got from the Claremont Street Fair onto their seat and the CD slides beside the seat between the gear shifter and the seat. Maybe next year the person's going to sell their car and they're cleaning their car out to get all the stuff and make sure there's no nickels or dimes or dollars hidden beside the seat. And There's a CD, Hope, the greatest gift, just the message they need to hear because they're going through a divorce and they... Someone died, and now they have all these huge medical expenses, and, and they're not sure what they're going to do, but they have to sell the family car to pay for the bills, and, and there's a message about hope. You know, these things are sneaky like that. But we have the sovereign God who rules over everything, beloved. And he might make a person sick and a person poor, Maybe there's a famine for seven years. And they go to sell their family car to pay the bills, and there's that CD sitting there. Just what they needed to hear. Beloved, that's how God is. So don't stop praying. It should urge us to more prayer, knowing that the sovereign God who rules over everything can do great things things more than we could even ask for, says Ephesians, or even think of, says Ephesians, because that's how great he is. How many tracks have we passed out during the years? I think I've probably been working with you, what, 12 years, 13 years? I'm not sure how many years you all have been passing out tracks. How many years have you been doing vacation Bible school? How many years... Have you had a Christmas program and people come in off the streets? How many? How many? And do we still continue to lift them up in prayer? Oh, but man, if we're praying for everything we've ever done for the last 40 years, we'll never get off our knees. Well, maybe that's our problem. We're too busy running around playing soccer and polishing the car and trimming the hedges and mowing our lawns when we should be doing things on our knees. Allison, she wanted a swimming pool. I got her a swimming pool, just not the kind with a filter on it. 
one of those ones that you fill up. It's about two feet tall, and you fill it up with the hose, and then you water all your plants with the buckets of water afterwards. And, and I thought to myself, you know, if I have to... Because I, I bought the, the kit, and then it says I have to measure the pH every day. And I thought to myself, that's going to take me five minutes a day. And then I thought, then I'm going to have to adjust it and check it again. And that's going to take me adjusting and checking it again 15 minutes a day. Then I thought, that's almost two hours a week. And I thought to myself, I ain't wasting two hours a week on checking pH of a swimming pool. I've got better things to do. You know, this world's just passing by. We're pilgrims on our heavenly way. And sometimes, and it's nice to have a swimming pool. <laughs> you jump into it at late at night when you're tired and sweaty and hot. and You just need to be refreshed. But maybe there's some better things we can do with some of our time. Sometimes, you know, in Mexico, I don't know about here, there probably is here, but in Mexico there are a couple channels on the public television that are just soap operas. And some of the ladies in the assembly, they watch soap operas all day and all night. They can tell you what happened to Carlos and what happened to Monica and what happened to Rafael and what happened to Corina, but they couldn't tell you who Gideon was. So, beloved, don't give up on prayer, even for things that happened a long time ago. God's word is quick. It's powerful. Sharper than the two-edged sword. And it will not return void. So keep on praying. And Gideon was there and he starts arguing for his brethren. Starts interceding for them just like Moses did. Do you pray not only for the lost and those who need to be restored? Do you pray for your brethren? Do you pray for your sisters? Do you pray for the workers? Do you pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up workers? We're at this camp, we're at this conference, and there was a fellow there that I noted. I thought he was a little bit like a bumblebee. And he'd go from person to person, and, you know, I've got, well, this ear doesn't work so good, but this ear does. And, but he did it so often that it, I was often talking to a person and he was behind me. And then I'd be talking to another person and he was behind me. And it seemed his only purpose was to fill his calendar of preaching dates. And I thought to myself, this is a weird fellow. He seems to think that the work of God is preaching. I wish my work was only preaching. That would... Save me about 23 hours a day. <laughs> you only have to get up in front and preach. But it isn't. It's counseling, isn't it? It's hospitality. It's visiting. It's teaching 
how to live righteously and not recklessly. And not always from the pulpit. Lots of times it's in your car. Lots of times it's maybe at a coffee shop. Maybe it's at a tackle stand. Maybe it's to encourage somebody. Maybe it's to rebuke somebody. Maybe it's to confront somebody. Maybe it's to put your arm around somebody and help them along the way. You know, it just isn't working right. There was a case in Mexico, and I had to explain to the Mexicans what hockey was. But there's some Mexican elders that think discipline is like hockey. And you're saying, what does that mean? Well, that means if you do something bad, they sit you in the penalty box until they determine your time's up. Now, Isabel's nodding because she's from Maine and she knows what hockey is. But that's how some assemblies are. They put you in the penalty box for two months or six months or a year or two years. Sometimes you get a game misconduct and you're never allowed to play again. But he, those who are spiritual, it says, restore such a one. To where? Well, to the place where they've fallen from, of course. <laughs> But it doesn't happen by putting them in the penalty box. It happens by going alongside of them, teaching the scriptures to them. This is why it's wrong. This is why God is not for what you are doing. And, and this is how you've got to do it. We're going to see that in a minute. In a few minutes, Gideon's going to take down the idols that were in his father's house. And he didn't only take and tear down the altars. He put a new altar there to sacrifice to God. Imagine Gideon there and they're starving. And he goes, just wait a minute, I need a sign. Gideon's a sign guy and he wants signs of fleeces later. But here he asks, just wait a minute, I'm going to get you some food. And he goes and he gets a kid and it says that they, all the animals, they were gone and where he had that food from, I don't know. But he brought out, he had something saved and he gave it to God, and the angel of the Lord came, and he touched it with his cane, and poof, the fire came leaping out of the rock. There he was feeding God. God consumed it, didn't he? Just like the burnt offering. Just like in the times of Elijah when the fire came down and consumed everything. Who ate it? It was God. And he presented food to God. Do we do that? This morning, what did we present to the Father? His Son, didn't we? That's what food speaks about. Well, it's not that God needs to eat does say in Revelation, you know, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If someone will come out and open the door, I'll go in and I'll just sit there and watch them eat. Is that what it says? I'll sup with them. It's part of the communion we have with God in offering up to Him His only Son. The one who is the fulfillment of all the sacrifices in the Old Testament. The one who is the fulfillment and will be the fulfillment of all the feasts 
of the Old Testament. They weren't called the, what do we say, the famines of the Old Testament. They weren't called the, I'm forgetting the word when you don't eat. What do you call that in English? Um, Fasting. It's not the fastings of Jehovah. They're the feasts of Jehovah. And he's there. And he consumes what we present to him. Oh, they never went empty-handed, did they? And I think I understand what most people mean when they say, we, have, we come empty-handed, O oh Lord, to you. But in the Old Testament, when they worshipped, they never went empty-handed, did they? Here's my lamb, it's invisible. <laughs> no, they always went full. And I know that we have no works of our hands can ever give anything to God. But we lift up the Lord Jesus to him, don't we? It's a sweet savor in his nostrils as it wafts up. You know, what happens to you? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume you like meat. I know some people don't like meat, but what happens to you when, when you walk down the road and and yesterday or the night before, night before on Friday, one of David's neighbors was having a barbecue. <laughs> and you smell that hickory. <laughs> and you smell the mesquite. <laughs> what starts happening? You start taking deeper breaths. <sighs> that smells yummy. You start wondering which neighbor it is. Even though we had just finished eating. And... And your mouth starts watering, doesn't it? Preparing itself for the food. And when we offer up the Lord Jesus, beloved, Father takes a deep sniff. <sighs> that smells good. And we lift him up. And we feed God with his Son. You know, sometimes in worship, people think it's all about me. I don't get anything out of it. I didn't enjoy myself. I was bored. I don't like the songs. I didn't like the singing. I didn't like the music. I didn't like the verses they read. I, 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 I. That's the problem with pride, isn't it? That letter right in the middle. It's a problem with sin, too. The letter right in the middle. I. You know, beloved, in worship, it's not really important what we feel like. It's not really important how we think. What is important is what God thinks. And if we have him thinking about his son and feasting on him, he's going to be taking deep breaths with his nose and enjoying the sweet savor of his son that's rising before the throne of God. And he not only said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased at his baptism. He not only said it at the Mount of Transfiguration, but he sits there in heaven and he says, that is my beloved son. And that's who I am well pleased with. That's what Gideon was doing. He was feeding God. And God was satisfied with it. And you know, as he fed the people, as he interceded for the people, as he fed God... And he did these things in this order. The last thing he did was he tore down the idols. Imagine if he tore down the idols before. 
he had everything set in order. You know, beloved, sometimes we say, don't do this. And people don't understand why. We say, do this, and they just don't understand knowing God very well. And we've got the cart before the horse. We need to be more like Gideon in this aspect of fighting God's battles. We need to have the word of God presented so that the people are being fed the word of God. We need to intercede for them. We need to to be able to feed God with his son. And when they understand the glory of God, you know what happens? All the idols in their life grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And the idols come tumbling down all automatically. You know, we had a neighbor. Her son was the Golden Gloves champion of Baja, California. You know those big belts, the boxers? He had a whole wall full of these big, they're bigger than rodeo belts. And, and she had this huge Guadalupana, the huge picture of the Virgin Guadalupe from Mexico, which is their version of Maria. And she, we never said anything. She just got saved. and We never said anything. She had all these belts from her son on the wall, and she had this great big Guadalupana there, and she had all these belts all around and we could see it from our house. Every time we walked out of the house, there was this great big Guadalupan, and she had been saved. We just kept teaching Christ. We never, ever said anything. And you know what? One day we walked out of the house, and it was something missing. Wasn't quite sure what was missing that day, but there wasn't something quite right in her room. And all the belts were gone, and the Guadalupana was gone. And we never ever said anything to her. Because she had found that only Christ satisfies her soul. We had taught her the word of God. We had prayed for her and the Lord knew. She didn't know that we were praying that she would take that thing down. But the Lord knew we were praying for that thing to come down. And we taught her how to lift up the Lord Jesus before the Father. And it just disappeared one day. I never ever asked what happened to it. It just disappeared. I don't know if she threw it away. I don't know if she sold it. I don't know what happened. I don't know if she might have burned it. But something happened. And it came down all by itself. Because she knew how to do these things. It's the order to do it in. You don't hide and pretend it doesn't exist. You have to face the problems head on. But there's a smart way to do things. And then there's a dumb way to do things. The smart way is God's way. The dumb way is our way. Now Gideon wasn't perfect, and we're going to talk about how he wasn't so perfect in the evening, Lord willing. But beloved, there's a battle. The Midianites are trying to make the people of God starve. And God's told us how to feed the people. God's told us how to feed him. Let's do it. Our Father in heaven, Gideon's taught us a lot this morning. He was a mighty man of valor, and 
And sometimes maybe we're not so valiant as we need to be. Maybe sometimes we compromise just a little too much. Maybe sometimes we're not so busy feeding the people of God as we should be, trying to keep the food lines open so that the people of God are fed. But we think of, of Gideon and how he did that, how he interceded for your people, how he, he made that sacrifice even in the midst of a hunger or a famine. And he called that place Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah, the Lord of peace and abundance. Even in the famine, Gideon had abundance some way, somehow. And Father, we pray that some way, somehow, we would all know Jehovah Shalom in our lives. There would always be an abundance of food spiritual food for us, abundance of brothers and sisters who can teach us the Word of God, who can come alongside of us and open the Word of life to us. We pray that some way, somehow, you would open our eyes that we might behold the wondrous things out of your law. And so we commend ourselves into your hand Asking your blessing on your word, may it dwell in us richly. For the honor and the glory of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.